Well, as we pick up where we left off last week at the end of chapter 1, hopefully you've had a chance to read a little bit of the book of Nehemiah in preparation for this series. If you haven't, I encourage you uh, to try to do so. I think last week I encouraged you all to try to sit down and read it through in one sitting so you got a good feel for what all was taking place uh, in the book. It is an amazing book, and as uh, you will see, if you haven't already seen this, that Nehemiah was an incredible spiritual leader. Uh, There's lots of people that want to make this about a book of leadership, and there are phenomenal leadership principles throughout this book, but it's about spiritual leadership. Um, We saw last week part of Nehemiah's heritage come out, his heart for his people, Uh, you know, as he heard of the condition of those that were left in Jerusalem, his heart broke, and he immediately went into prayer and fasting, asking, you know, God to, to, to do something. And we'll see that play out more and more uh, this week as we look at how God led him. But one of the things that I want us to see that is true about Nehemiah, and Warren Wearsby points this out, is an incredible principle for us in our lives as well. And, and I'll ask it in a question, um, you know, but here's what Wearsby says, that for, for Nehemiah, the past was a rudder to guide, not an anchor to hold him back. And so for us, I think we need to ask ourselves that question about our past. Is your past an anchor that holds or a rudder that guides? We all have pasts, and, and there's some great things in our past, and there's some not so great things in our past, and th- those things in our past can be anchors that hold us back from experiencing God's glory, or they can simply be, as it was for Nehemiah, a rudder that guides us into the future, a rudder that guides us into seeing God glorify himself. So I want you to keep this question in mind as we go through our text today, and and ask yourself that as we go through, you know, about our past. Last week we saw that Nehemiah was, uh, he was all about intentional prayer. And again, as we saw last week that All spiritual decisions start with prayer and the reading of God's word. Nehemiah was immediately uh, led to go to his needs and immediately led to fast for the condition of the people back in Jerusalem. You know, and as we saw at the end of chapter one, he was asking that God would give him mercy in the sight of this man. And so, um, what has taken place since the end of chapter one to the end of chapter two is that we see Nehemiah is also a man of intentional patience. And so we need to be people of intentional prayer, and I hope that um, as you really think about your prayer life, and as, even as we go through our, our text today, that you'll be challenged to examine your own prayer life. Does it match up to the way Nehemiah prayed, or are we still a product of our culture that we just ask God to give us what we want? Nehemiah was about seeking God's face and glorifying him and recognizing for who he was. As we saw last week, he, he not only confessed his sin, his father's sin, but the sin of the nation. And then he began to beg God to reveal insights. And so four months have actually taken place from the, the end of chapter 1 to where we pick up in chapter 2. And so we see this intentional patience on Nehemiah's part. We see that in the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes. And so we see that, and you might miss this in just careful reading, but four months have taken place since Nehemiah got on his knees and was praying. We saw at the end of chapter 1 that it, it looks as God was beginning to reveal some things to him and some, some plans uh, as he knew that he was eventually going to have to speak to the king. 
We're going to see this play out in various ways in chapter 2, but I want us to realize that it all starts with intentional prayer and being intentionally patient. Now, if I were to have a show of hands, how many of you do well with patience? I would just expect that not too many hands would go up, uh, and everybody's hands that goes up would probably have a test of patience later on today. Um, but patience is not, we, although we know it's a virtue, it's not something that we do well with. And, and, and certain personality types, mine especially, doesn't do so well with being intentionally patient. And so I, I'm just being honest. I I struggle with this intentional patience component of Nehemiah. While I understand it, I get it, I wrestle with it. I want to be doing something, something tangible that I can put my finger on the end of the day and say, look, that, look what we did. We saw this happen. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He commits to prayer, intentional prayer. He commits to being patient, waiting on God to act. There's a couple of scriptures that are helpful for me on this intentional patient thing. One is in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. You know, in the first part of the verse says, so that you may not be sluggish. Now, I get that. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with being sluggish. I don't want to have anything to do with being lazy. Uh, and so I, I, I struggle with my schedule in allowing my schedule not to dominate me and dominate our family because I do not want to be sluggish. I get that. I don't want anybody to be able to have the perception that I'm lazy. And I don't count my hours because if I count my hours, I, I think I work too much. But if I don't count my hours, I don't even think about it. But there'll be many a day, especially when I am not sleeping well, that I am up early. Sometimes 3 o'clock, most of the time by 5 o'clock, and usually no later than 6 o'clock, that I'm working on my sermon well before I even come in the office. So on an average day, you know, I, before I even come into the building here, I've already been working, if you want to call it that, for four hours. And there's days that I'll be here at 10 o'clock at night. You know, and... I struggle with, because I get this so that you may not be sluggish verse, even taking time off in the afternoon because I don't want anybody to see me around town and go, oh, he's lazy. But here's what the rest of the verse says, and I don't want you to miss this. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit their promises. May I suggest that sometimes we're so busy doing something that we miss the inheritance of the promises of God? I'm guilty of that. I, I, I get the prayer part, but I struggle with the patience part. I'd rather be doing something, and sometimes in my doing of things, I miss what God has for me to experience his promises. And so this verse is very helpful for me, even though I still struggle with it. Another verse in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Now listen to this. Whoever believes in me will not be in what? Haste. Do we really believe in God enough to be patient? 
Sometimes my actions don't show that because I'd rather be doing something. Warren Wiersbe says this, you know, as we really struggle with the challenges of life, we need to remember that true faith in God, it, it brings a calmness to the heart that keeps us from rushing about and trying to, to do things in our own strength, you know, do those things that only God can do. We must know that not only how we weep and pray, we need to know how to weep and pray, but we also must know how to wait and pray. Consider, if you will, for a moment, when you hear of somebody's need, a deep physical need, I think we understand the weeping and prayer for them. But most times we don't execute the wait and pray. Let me give you an example. Oftentimes we are drawn to somebody's need, an immediate need. Maybe it's a financial need, a medical need, or something that has left them in financial uh, stress. They need food or whatever, and, and we immediately want to take care of the need. Now, I'm not saying that's all bad. Most of the times, I think God is in that. But what if God is allowing the person to go through that need so that he can get their spiritual attention? If we respond to the physical need, rather than waiting on God through prayer, we missed the very thing that God was doing in our lives, and in some ways, maybe short-circuit what God was doing. As we're praying, I think our prayer life needs to change in such a way that we're not just asking God to grant the need, but we're asking God to reveal what he's doing in somebody's life. We're asking God to glorify himself in that person's life. We're asking God to give us the timing of when to fulfill the need. In fact, I would even go as far as to suggest that sometimes, not all the times, sometimes the reason that we help somebody with a need is not so much for their discomfort as it is ours. Let that sink in for a moment. That because I feel so uncomfortable about the condition that somebody is in, to relieve my comfort, I do something. Rather than waiting on God to reveal his time, his will, and his way to deal with a specific need. And so when we look at things, we look at and we compare ourselves to Nehemiah as we go through this, and we look at his faith and the way he executed things, I know I can certainly learn through, through things. And, you know, this year, I can say, honestly say that as I really evaluated leadership skills, and, and I haven't really been studying the book of Nehemiah as, as well as other things and portions of Scripture, that what God has re revealed in my life are that my greatest strengths are also my greatest weaknesses. My staff have heard me say this numerous times over this last year, that oftentimes those things that have done us well in life spiritually do us the most harm. Let me explain. The very things that I learned in athletics, you know, I learned all sorts of things about teamwork, but I also learned a lot of things about perseverance, about pushing harder, and the more, the more you push yourself, the, the better the rewards, and that was affirmed over and over and over again that, hey, this practice doesn't feel good, but push yourself through it, because if you do, you will achieve this, and guess what? Every single time I did that, there was a reward at the end, but here's the problem, that all those things I learned as an athlete that have served me so well actually are a detriment to me spiritually. Because what I've learned is to do it myself. I've learned to take a problem and, and handle it head on myself. I haven't learned to do it the way Nehemiah did. I haven't learned to take a problem and go to my knees in intentional prayer. I haven't learned to take a problem and fast. I haven't learned to take a problem and 
to patiently wait on God to reveal, as we'll see later on, the plan that he has to solve the problem. I do it myself. And so sometimes we react to a need. Sometimes we react to doing things the way that we have learned to do them our whole lives. And the very thing that God wants us to do is then short-circuited because we're not doing it his way. And so I want us to consider that as we move forward. But so how, how do we intentionally be patient? It's easier said than done, right? And you've heard the phrase, don't pray for patience because your patience will be tested. Well, let me give you three principles that are helpful for me. The first is this. If you want to be intentionally patient, then stand firm. Now, I need to define what I mean by that because for me, stand firm is almost a, a battle cry. Stand firm. Don't let the enemy take back any ground. If anything, stand firm and move forward. That's not what we're talking about in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. It has nothing to do with you standing firm and holding ground. It has to be standing firm in God and what he and only he can do. Do you see the difference? Even as I'm saying that, my mind struggles with that because to me it's this battle cry. Dave, you stand firm. You take the ground. Well, guess what? I can't take spiritual ground. Only God can. The second thing is to sit still. We need to stand firm in God and his promises and what he can do, but we need to sit still. Now, I can look out here, even though the lights are bright, and I can see many of you that have a problem with sitting still. You had too much coffee, and you had donuts in your Sunday school class, and now you can't sit still. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a different type of sitting still that comes with the intentional prayer, intentional patience. As a matter of fact, uh, if you, we look at Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18, we see this. You know, Naomi said to Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until you know the matter will turn, how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. Sit still. There's nothing that you can do. Sit still. Wait on God. Stand firm in his promises. And then finally, be still. Now, I don't know if anybody else in the room is struggling with these things. Stand firm on God's promises. Sit still. And now, be still. Be still is not the same as sit still. And you, some of you may be wondering that. But be still is being still and knowing who is God. Psalm 46.10, you may have memorized this verse. Be still and know that what? I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still. In the midst of trials and tribulations, have you ever executed these three? Stand firm in who God is. Sit still, wait on him to open up the paths, wait for him to give the plans, and be still knowing that he is the God of this universe, and he is going to do what he does best in glorifying himself and do what no other can do. I believe Nehemiah understood this, and I believe that's why he was able to, he, he knew he needed to go to prayer because this was far bigger than him. He didn't take matters in his own hands and try to persuade the king and, and start talking about the Jewish people. He went to God, and God began to reveal a plan that we'll see play out here in a moment. You know, and then as he did this, he was intentionally waiting. And so we come and we see in, in verse 
verse 1, that is, is four months later. He's standing before King Artaxerxes when the wine was before him. I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And Nehemiah said, then I was very much afraid. If you don't understand the culture, if you were sad in the presence of the king, he had the authority to banish you from his presence forever, but he also had the authority to take your life because you were sad in the presence of the king. And so Nehemiah is a little bit concerned. But I want you to see what happened as a result of his intentional prayer, as a, as a result of his intentional patience waiting on God. That, and we'll see that as he was praying this prayer you know, of intentionality, God began to give him a plan. And so you see his, his response in verse 3. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city and the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its graves have been, its gates have been destroyed by fire? You know, he knew how this pagan king would respond. He, this pagan king didn't care anything about the people of Israel. But he was going to be respectful of the graves of the dead. I believe that this came as a result of Nehemiah's prayer that he knew exactly how to engage the king and exactly what the king would respond to. He was prepared to respond when God opened up the door and he gave this response to the king. And so Nehemiah was a man of intentional prayer, of intentional patience. But I want you to see he was a man of intentional pursuit, that when God opened up the door, he intentionally and immediately walked through it. He's sad before the king. The king initiates with him and asks. He understands that it is time. Uh, look, look with me later on. Uh, the king said to me, well, what is it that you're questioning? So I prayed to the God of heaven. What is it that you are requesting? Now, some people might think this is a shotgun prayer, that Nehemiah is all of a sudden offering up this prayer, but we know better because we saw the prayer in, in chapter 1, and it's a great model prayer for us to model our prayers after. But I believe Nehemiah was in constant communication with God. We don't know what that prayer is. We know that he was, he was a, a little bit afraid of what the king might do. Um, you know, but you know, a lot of times, and I'm learning this more and more, that even as I sit in meetings, I am constantly in prayer, asking God to allow me to hear things things that are not being said. Allow me to see things that aren't seen through his eyes, not through my eyes. And I'm constantly praying. I'm asking for God to give me discernment and wisdom and words in the midst of whatever situation, whether it's a counseling situation or we're trying to solve a problem, whatever it is, I'm learning to pray. I think that's what Nehemiah was doing. And so he's in the midst of praying, and this prayer was backed up by these four months of prayer that were going on. But as the king asked, what is it that you're requesting? I want you to see, and this is where we start to see the plan that God gave starting to reveal itself. And, and as he, he uh, asked for these requests, there's two things that we'll see. One is send me, and then the second request is give me, that we'll get into a second. And so in, in chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And so he knew immediately what he's going to do. Again, he, he pleads for to go rebuild the city where his father's graves are desecrated. And, and the king responds. And so now we really see the, the plan, the, this intentional planning. And may I again, I can't reiterate this enough. These were not the plans of Nehemiah. 
These are the plans of God. Nehemiah got the plans through his intentional prayer and fasting. Again, this is something I'm learning over and over and over in these last, really these last eight months, that it's not about my years of experience in ministry. It's not my, about my years of experience in business. It's not about my years of experience in coaching. That has literally nothing to do with it. doesn't mean that God won't use those things, but it's all about my yielding to him. God reveals his plans, which are his will, we see in the, in the word, his way that comes through the word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit leading us. That's how we get to solutions to spiritual issues. Nehemiah had this plan unveiling to me, and we see in verses 6 through 8 that he's asking God to, through his prayers, he's asking the king to give him some things. And so in, in 6, he said, And the king said to me, with the queen sitting by side to side, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, uh, let letters be given to me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So he already understood, and he had done his research on what was going to happen. How am I going to get there? He needed all these governors to have letters from the king to let him through, and let uh, a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I should occupy. And so all this came to Nehemiah through prayer, you know, that he needs to ask the king for all of these specific things, and as we see. And the king granted me what I asked. Now listen to this. For the good hand of my God was upon me. And we'll take the time to pray intentionally. We'll take the time to be patient. God will reveal a plan. When we're willing to wait on it, which is difficult for me, when we're willing to wait on his timing, he will open up the door. And then when we execute his plan, guess what happens? It works every time. There's another thing that I want us to see, and this is pretty important. It's the second thing that Nehemiah, part of his request, it was first was give me, and then was send me. We might be willing to pray. We might be willing to be patient. We might be willing to ask God to, to give us some things. But are we willing for God to send us? Nehemiah asked the king to send him. And then he asked the king to give him the things that he was going to need as he went. But consider, if you were to look at your prayer life, and just use your prayer life as a barometer to answering this one, what would it reveal? For those of you that took all kind of requests in Sunday school, if you minutes ago, think about the prayers that were offered up. Were they, God, give me, give me, give me? Or were they more, God, what is it that you're doing in this person's life? How is it that you want to glorify yourself? God, what is it that I need to do? What is it we as a class need to do as a result of this need? God, we're willing for you to send us. We're willing for you to use us. See, oftentimes, This is the one that we're not really willing to do. 
And obviously God's not calling all of us to go into the mission field, but God is calling all of us to participate in his will, his way, in the normal midst of our everyday lives. But yet when we, when we see a need or we hear of a need, we may stop and pray for it and do the second part, give me or give them. But we rarely ask God, what is it that you might have me to do? And then are we willing to wait on that? Nehemiah, he wanted to go. He was asking God to send him, and he was asking for God to provide for him in amazing ways. And as we'll see, God did so over and over and over. But as we come to the conclusion of our time this morning, and I'm already out of time, I want to go back to the original question I asked. Is your past an anchor that holds or a rudder that guides? We all have a past. We have great, great things in our past. And we have tragedies in our past. God wants to use all things to glorify himself. Moving forward spiritually in our lives individually requires intentional prayer. Asking God to reveal what he has for us to do. Asking God to provide the things that he has for us to do. But it requires patience to wait on God to show up to do the things that only he can do. And when he does show up, it requires our immediate execution of the plan. Obedience. In a moment, we'll sing our final song, a song of commitment. And I just wonder what the Holy Spirit has been impressing upon you. Which one of these stands out the most? Intentional prayer, intentional patience, intentional execution of the plan. Or maybe this whole idea of this anchor that has been holding me from experience God's glory in the present and God's glory in the future. It's time for you to be set free from the bondage that has been holding you back for years and years and years. As we come to this time of invitation. I'm going to ask that you just respond in the way that God is calling you to respond. In your own life and together as a body of believers. It's clear that God is moving us forward in exciting ways as a church. And we can allow the past to be an anchor that holds us from experiencing God's glory right now and God's glory in the future. Or we can let it be, as it was for Nehemiah, a guide that guides him into the future. Maybe there's some of you here today that have been coming for a while and you know that God is saying, I want you to be a part of this church. But maybe because of your past, you're not ready to be a part of a church. But when God says it's time, are you willing to intentionally pursue his will, his way? Now know this before you come forward to join this church. Our expectation is you're going to use your skills, your spiritual gifts, your talents to help us go into the future for his glory and his honor and his praise. We don't believe in any pew warmers. Maybe you are a member of this church. And maybe you're holding on to the past so much so that it's an anchor. Instead of a rudder. And it's time for God to say, let it, let it go.
This church has glorified God in the past. I believe this church has glorified God in the present. And we want to propel into the future, both individually and corporately together, by being a body of believers who patiently prays, patiently waits on God's will, his plan, and does it his way. And when God opens the door, we sprint through it so that he can be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the book of Nehemiah and the impact it's had on my life over all these years and the impact that it's having once again uh, for such a time as this. But God, I pray for us as a body of believers that you would continue to communicate to us uh, both individually and the things of life, the trials of life, the tragedies and tribulations of life. Lord, that we would not allow them to be anchors that hold us back, but God, that we would allow you to give us victory, to be freed from that bondage so that you can be glorified both now in the present and in the future. But God, we pray as a body of believers that you would help us to, to be those who are patiently praying, that we're asking for you to reveal the plans for us so that we can march together into the future as a united body of believers so that you can be glorified and God, so this community will know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so God, I pray that your spirit move in such a way and that we'd be willing to respond in immediate obedience. I pray all this in Jesus' name.